You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Most writers and radio show hosts know that to connect with your fans, you need to do more than just write books or record the latest podcasts. There are many different elements that go into forming an online platform, but there are also many hidden traps. To make matters worse, solid advice on how to survive the muddy waters is scarce. In the book Hidden Traps, I talk about some of the important issues of working with an online platform, highlighting traps that could put your physical or internet security at risk, or be harmful to your reputation. Are your social media posts just links with a few disjointed words making you look like someone who can't complete a sentence? Did your new website cost you more than you anticipated? Are you leaking your personal contact details across the web without even knowing it? Then you need Hidden Traps. Hidden Traps is now available in paperback and ebook from a variety of retailers, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo. Visit blackwolfpublications.com for more details. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now, and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-553-8687. That's 800-553-8687. Again, 800-553-8687. Here's George Foreman with InventHealth. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. Call InventHelp today for free information. InventHelp has been helping inventors for more than 30 years and has sales offices nationwide. InventHelp can submit your invention to companies who are interested in receiving new ideas. If you have an idea and want to try to patent it and submit it to companies, you should call InventHelp today for free information. Listen, I can't guarantee a company will be interested in your idea, but I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Get your free inventor's information. Call 1-800-353-6490. That's 1-800-353-6490. Again, 1-800-353-6490. The world around us is an amazing place filled with beauty and with science. But let's face it, sometimes the science can be so confusing that it takes a PhD to understand it. Well, you're in luck. I just happen to have a PhD. Come and take a seat. 
Perhaps I can explain the world around us in a way we all can understand. Welcome to Conversations in Science. I'm Dr. Judy L. Moore. Call me Doc. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of Conversations in Science. And yes, as my intro says, yes, I do have a PhD, but I'm not a medical doctor. I just happen to have a PhD in astronomy. Yes, guys, I'm a rocket scientist. Well, not really, but close enough. For those of you who are new to the show, just so you know how it works, I and, of course, my producer, Jesse Sanders. Jesse, where are you? What's up, Doc? Hey, Jess. Jesse's around to help me to make sure that I don't go too techno on you. So we keep everything so everything can be understood by everyone. Today, I wanted to talk about something that has been bouncing around the news for a while. And I'm talking about this idea about fake science versus real science. It's been around for quite some time of talking about this whole concept. And we talked about it on a couple of episodes in the past. I think we talked about it when we were talking about climate change and how climate change really is science, that there actually is science behind it. It's not fake science. But I wanted to give the listeners a couple of strategies that they can apply themselves so they can understand what is the difference between fake science and real science and how they could possibly recognize the difference for themselves. Doc, I got to say, when you yeah. said you were com covering something that bounced around the news, I was worried for a minute. I didn't know what we were going to be talking about today. <laughs> and yes, we did discuss it a little bit on one of the episodes because somebody had sent out some kind of tweet that said global warming causes diabetes. And that yeah, spurred we you into a there. tizzy. <laughs> so we have touched on this topic. We have. But the thing is, is... I wanted to give people the ability to understand for themselves so they don't have to rely on somebody who has a PhD to understand whether it's real science or fake science. Where do we start? I suppose we can start with understanding that this concept of fake science or pseudoscience, as it's also called, has been around for a very long time. I mean, all you have to do is think about all of those old movies that you see where the medicine man comes to town, comes to the Western village, and he's got the cure-all mixture. You drink this elixir and it will cure all your ails. Yeah, right. I've, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, Doc. That was usually a bottle containing an adult beverage. It'll make you feel good for a little while anyway. Yeah, and you had to drink more of it to cure all your ails. Yeah, no, that was obviously fake science. And most people know straight away when they see it, they're going, yeah, no, no, definitely not. It's just no. And then, of course, you have some of the other ones, you know, the cure of medicine. He touches you, touches you on the head and you know, you will be blessed and suddenly you can walk again. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. That's all fake. And, but most people can recognize that as being fake. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about these things that we now see on the internet, which is throwing numbers and cases and testimonies at you. And they've got the endorsements of certain celebrities and all of these things. And it's all being thrown at you. And it looks genuine. It really does. Oh, like the weight loss supplement with the before and after pictures and the testimonials, how the lady lost 50 pounds in six weeks? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and in some cases that can be even more extreme than that. Yeah. No, those, you have to look at them and you go, mm. the biggest thing that you can do with any of these pseudoscience ideas. So the fake science one, first question you ask yourself, are they trying to sell me something? Yep. They're and probably how trying much to are they trying something. to sell it for? First, first clue. Most of the time they're trying to sell you something with a free automatic subscription to have more of it sent to you. Exactly. And it's like, have lots and lots of money going out the door. Buy now and, and 30 day guarantee. And, but, but wait, there's more. Yeah, no. And, and those, that's the first clue. The first clue that something is not right. And most of those things tend to be in either medicine or cosmetics. There are, there's quite a few of the, you know, look younger and take all the the crow's feet away and get rid of all the wrinkles and dark eyes and yes some of it works some of it really does genuinely work but other things yeah i i just that's the first clue are they trying to sell you something especially something with a subscription for more of it at the end yet the introductory package is like 20 bucks, but then it's going to be 60 bucks every month from there on out or 80 bucks or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the first clue that something's wrong. I also love if you're the ones talking that about, say doctors don't want you to know. Yeah. That, I was just about to say that if they go through and they say the experts in this field don't want you to know what's going on. Um, warning bells should be going off because if it was really that good, and really that unique, then the doctors or the experts in the field should be behind it and going, you need to check this out. But here's the other thing as well as we were talking about, you know, selling things and all that sort of thing. Is there only one source of this product or can you get it from other places as well? Because if you can get it from other places, well, the chances are there's possibly some validity to it. How much validity it is, I don't know. Well, Doc, but I know there's... I can pick up my oil of valet at the grocery store, the pharmacy, and the local discount store. Exactly. So you can pick it up from a variety of different locations, and it's the same with my moisturizers and, and cleansers that I use. You know, I know that I can get them from a variety of different places, and it adds validity to the products that we're using. Now, moving away from the concept of of selling things, let's let's talk about some of these other things which are not necessarily um, trying to sell you stuff in Is It Real Research. There's some news recently um, that's come through that I saw that was about things like, um, you know, we were talking with Dan Cobalt several months back and we were talking about the CRISPR-Cas system and, and how you can potentially change the genes of human embryos with this system. He didn't talk about human embryos, but I've actually seen it come across my news feeds very recently that they are now doing this. And I, it's not just one article. I saw it I've just seen. today on like three major network news stations. Exactly. And that's it. And so that's the thing. I saw it come through and it's coming from multiple sources now. And that the fact that it's coming from multiple sources is telling me that this is now happening. 
we are now getting this. I saw one, an article that said that they were able, I saw it this morning, in fact, uh, an article where they were able to reverse glycoma in mice by manipulating a gene. Um, I found one where they were able to get rid of a genetic uh, disease predisposition in a human embryo. And this was a research company, uh, a research firm in the U.S. that's doing this. And it's coming from multiple sources now. This is not just one thing. So this is real science, guys. You're not – you're looking at how many sources of information is it coming from. Okay. You're doc, looking at the research facilities as well. Doc, what if there's only one source on the news because – but it's a reputable source, like NASA putting out the news about the latest science experiment going on, out, up, going on on the International Space Station. Yeah, I was just going to get to that because NASA is – I mean, there are conspiracy theorists out there that still believe – they still believe that we've never landed on the moon and that we don't have people going out into space and, and that the International Space Station is all our, our delusions, and it is because – NASA is the primary source of information for all of that information, all of those news. But dare I say it, they are the only ones who can get that information. But the way to look at whether that is valid information or not and, and be comfortable with it is look at who's involved. Because the news articles and the news bits and pieces and the press releases may be coming from NASA – but NASA actually does list what organizations have participated, and they also list who are the key and lead scientists involved who have also participated. If you take a look at their agencies that are involved in certain projects, sometimes it can be up six to seven different agencies from around the world that are involved in these projects. And you can go to each of those individual agencies separately, and they will have on their website information, key links and information about what the key points were of these projects. And, of course, they will refer back to the press kits from NASA, of course, but it's that cross-collaboration of information, and it adds validity to what is really going on. As a consequence, you can start trusting certain sources and you don't have to go to multiple sources. Also look at the magazines and, and things like that. There's a couple of magazines, for example, um, Scientific America and New Scientist. I would actually be willing to trust those quite happily because I rank those magazines along with National Geographic. They don't just publish anything. There's time and effort that goes into their articles. There's photographs. There's lots of information. And it's not just all the same writers or photographers. There's lots of different people that are involved. I have a feeling the same wouldn't be said for Ladies Home Journal. No, no, sorry. No, they, those are going to be those tabloid-type magazines – I mean, they might pick up the articles occasionally, but they tend to be more paparazzi type stuff. Oh, that would be the National Enquirer. Ladies Home Journal is usually about decorating. Oh, well, okay. Which means they might actually have some pretty good decorating tips sitting there. 
Yeah, but the National Enquirer, that's your paparazzi, paparazzi chasing the stars around, trying to get pictures of them looking every day. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically you, you're looking at who was writing it as well. Every article when they have a guest artist or a guest writer, photographer or something, there should be, and this is particularly the case on internet articles, not so much in printed ones, but on internet articles particularly, they will have a bit about the author. And take a look at that as well. You know, are where are their credentials? What what do they know? Where have they come from? How do they have their knowledge and their experience? And if you come across an article that is about, say, genetics and is written by a geneticist, well, surely it's going to have some knowledge behind the information. Maybe? Yes? No? Maybe, but I got to tell you something, Doc. Some of these alleged scientific journals have really gone to the dogs. (laughs) Yeah, I heard about that. You want to fill our listeners in on this? I was doing my usual show prep and tripped over an article that just left me in stitches. Now, I couldn't use it on my show, but I saved it for yours, Doc. This vet, I think he was a veterinarian or some, some some research type in Perth, Australia, no less, had submitted his dog under the name Dr. Olivia Dahl as an editor for not one but seven different alleged academic peer review journals complete with a picture of a pop australian star of some sort in glasses as the dog's photo now he listed the dog's research studies as the uh, researching the effects of abdominal massage on medium-sized dogs (laughs) belly rubs yep (laughs) exactly and then uh the effects of Medium-sized dogs on the mental and physical, emotional well-being of middle-aged men. (laughs) In other words, keeping your owner happy. (laughs) Okay. And, yeah, there will be charlatan um, newspaper articles. And the article had to say that uh, the owner of Dr. Olivia Dahl had to say that uh, most of these alleged journals charge you to put your article in and that they tended to prey on either the young academic or the third world country academic and that dr olivia Dahl would not comment until she'd been taken for walksies <laughs> oh, oh that would be hilarious and now okay the other in terms the one of last the journal, comment was that anybody yes. who submits to these is barking mad <laughs> Now, in terms of the journal papers and journal articles, and basically when we're looking at newspaper articles, they should at some point be referring you back to the research and where they've come. And if you were looking at, say, the websites, websites for certain research facilities will list their um, journal papers and bits and pieces. And I know, like, even for the universities that I've been involved with – key researchers will actually list their recent publications on their websites or, you know, their pages about who they are. And going to read some of those papers, it's really hard, and I will gladly admit that. Here's the thing. Any new researcher um, basically just marking their career for the first time, they shouldn't be publishing on their own anyway. They should be publishing under 
a name under their their name, obviously, but with a conjunction or co-authored paper with their supervisors or mentors. They are trying to make their name in the industry. And part of the way of doing that is to actually, I know we'd like to go solo, but we actually ride on the coattails of our supervisors. Our supervisors have already made their names in the industry or in the research fields, and we're just coming up behind them. We're one of their prodigies, so we have to help. They um, help them boost and, and this vice versa sort of concept. So there should always be multiple names on some of these journal papers. They should never be on their own, unless they're a review paper. I have seen review papers, a review of the of the research to date. I've seen those quite happily as individuals, and I would be willing to accept those as an individual situation. Ones that are coming from third world countries, a lot of their research is fantastic and bits and pieces, and I feel a bit sad that they've been duped by some of these journal papers. There are some other ways that you can test and see whether the journal paper is valid, and there are some search engines, things that you can do that will rank the journals out there in the world as to their, their popularity as well as their validity and the nature of their articles and how often they are cited and those sort of things. And those databases are available to all researchers, so they're easy to get access to. In terms of the public, looking at a journal paper and trying to find out whether this is real or bubkis, if you don't have to pay for it, and there are some journal paper, journal articles out there now. Um, I think I think there's one that was called Plus One or something like that. It was a for a medical, it's a medical journal. It is free to the public, and you did have to submit to, um, you had to pay to submit to it. But the charges associated on the researcher for submitting to it were actually quite small. They weren't like hundreds of dollars. You were talking something in the order of 20 or $30 to submit to this thing. It wasn't huge amounts, and it was just enough to actually keep the editors going and keep the website up and operational and, and all those sorts of things to help cover those funds. But when you're looking at a journal paper, even if you have to, if it's something that you have to pay for it, all databases about the journal papers should have at least the abstract publicly available. Okay, Doc. And in the whoa, abstract. Whoa. Yep. Abstract. Is that kind of like a summary? It is. It is very much like an abstract, uh, like a summary. Basically, your abstract is your key bits of information from the article. So you should have in your abstract of a scientific paper, and this is... A standard formula. All scientific papers should follow this format. In the abstract should be what is the key hypothesis. So what is the key theory that they're trying to test? They should have what is the the, um, the main method that they want chose to test it? What is the key result, the biggest result in it, a including numbers sometimes, but basically what is your result? And then what is your main conclusion? If that is not in the abstract, the paper should have been rejected in the first place. It is a standard formula. Okay, so if you All can't find those basic pieces in an abstract. Now, I assume if it's an abstract in a well-reputable journal and maybe you're just missing it because, well, no offense, Doc, some of those abstracts are about as interesting to read as watching paint dry or watching my grass grow. Dare I say it, scientific papers in general are about as interesting as watching a pot boil or paint dry or a grass grow. Thank you. 
I thought, <laughs> I'm glad to know I'm not alone on that. Now, some of them are interesting, <laughs> but they're the few and far between ones. And I tend to read the ones that try and explain science to people, not science to scientists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will totally agree and understand that with you, and that's fine. I got no problem with it. How do you think I tripped over Dr. Dahl? <laughs> there are some other ways of going through and, and determining whether what you're looking at. Okay, let's let's think about some of the, the internet articles now, because let's face it, not many of us get print anymore. It's It's so easy just to go to social media or to go to the internet and just go, bring up this article. And the question is, is how do we know that these articles that we're reading on the internet are valid? Take a look at one, the source itself. <laughs> is it, Doc, is if it's it NASA, a reputable URL? Doc, if it's NASA, I'm going to trust it. If it's uh, cdc.gov, I'm going to trust it. Exactly. And and so you're looking at the URL. Where is the source? Where does it come from? Um, That sort of information. You're going to look at that. If you're looking at, so they're talking about research, if they cite an article, did they just copy word for word the press releases from whatever company it's come from? Or did they actually put a, another spin and piece together information together from multiple sources? How Those articles, those articles on the internet, did they use just one source of information to put it together? Or did they put multiple sources of information? Well, Doc, how many say, sources of information? I there? saw one that was entirely based on NASA and NASA scientists and NASA researchers. But I will say the researchers were from like six different states and four different research facilities. And that would be something I would quite happily trust because of the fact you have the amount of collaboration involved. Do you see how, how you got to look at these things. I mean, this is looking at the difference between science and fake science. Dare I say it? It's actually very similar to looking at what's real news versus fake news. I do that one every day, Doc. So what are some of the techniques that you do to isolate whether it's fake news or real news? Well, there's certain websites in my mind that are automatically class classified as not necessarily fake news, but they'll have a unique spin or what I call a dodgy site. Like if I'm on the North Korean state-run news agency site... <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. But I will sometimes read bits and pieces of articles from there. But go, okay, guys, this is from the North Korean news site. Insert two or three lines from article. Remember, that was from the North Korean news site. Same thing with Iran. Okay. Iran's news site. So what you're doing is you're looking at where is the source of information coming from. And that's basically the key to identifying whether it is fake or potentially real. Now, the ones that... I can get on the Iranian news site. I can get on five or six different real news sites as well. Okay. That, you know, sometimes I'll actually pull a U.S. political article off an Iranian news site and send it to a friend because oh. the Iranian news has no dog in the fight. They don't tend to slant U.S. politics and they're trying to break it down so their readers can understand. <laughs> And again, that's what it comes down to is looking at what is the source of information, looking at how how it's been presented. Are they trying to sell you something? Are they not trying to sell you something? Is there an impartiality to the hypothesis that they've presented? Okay. These are the sorts of things that you need to be looking at when you're putting all of this together. And there will be questions sometimes. 
So when they do a research study, are all the questions answered or sometimes do they have some loose threads that they just couldn't tie up in that study and they got to do another one? Most of the time there will be um, questions and sometimes the study will actually present more questions. So you'll get a result from something, but it wasn't necessarily the result you expected. And hence you need to go back to your drawing board and go back to your hypothesis and your models and say, right, what could potentially lead to this result that we got over here, which we weren't expecting? And how can we potentially explain that? And hence it leads into more research and more research. And believe it or not, scientists actually like those puzzles, you know? Hmm, that's interesting. That's a good statement. When a scientist says that, hmm, that's interesting, or hmm, that didn't quite go as expected. Those are the great things because it leads to more science and more exploration about the world and they want to know that thing. So having everything conveniently presented actually makes me question the research and the process that they did because there should be questions. Okay. Any final thoughts before we send everybody out to walk the dogs today, Doc? You've come across a, an article that looks genuine, but you really don't know. Hey, feel free to drop us a line at the station and I can take a look at it and I might be able to poke holes in it. But then again, I might actually be able to point you into sources that say, actually, no, this is real. Even if it is a bit crazy, it might be real. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Doc. Well... I think this show has run its course. Yep, I think it has. Here's hoping you guys actually now have a little bit of understanding on how you can work out whether you're looking at real science or fake science. Well, that brings us to an end of another Conversations in Science. If you have any questions about science and about some of the world around us, feel free to drop me a line. I'm on Twitter, and you can find me at Judy L. Moore. Or you can look me up on Facebook, Judy L. Moore. Or you can drop me a line on my personal website, judyelmore.com. I think you're seeing the pattern here. Then, of course, if you are interested in some of the other projects I do, which is the writing and editing, feel free to check me out on blackwolfeditorial.com. But then, of course, don't forget, if you are wanting more information about the science, you can also contact us at the station with the email of science at klrnradio.com. Then, of course, there's my cohort that keeps going through and popping up. You mean me, Doc? Well, for anybody who wants to track me down, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse's POV. And you can also drop me a line at the station at Jesse's POV at KLRNRadio.com. Bye, guys. Bye.